Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Carrie. I'm Dean. And it's just the two of us this evening. Yep. Get used to it. <laughs> it's what happens when your kids grow up, I suppose. Damn it. Well, they have better actually, things to do. Now, if they would just move out. <laughs> <laughs> and not leave their dogs with us. Yes. It's okay, because they don't listen to the show, so we can say anything like that. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, well, one of them does. The one that moved out is the one that listens. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> okay, what do you have for us? I, or for me, I should say, Dean. Carrie, today we have something <laughs> that is a, a very strange event that happened quite 90 years ago whoa and but i had never heard of until pretty darn recently it's a pretty it was a small event but it's really pretty weird and amazing so okay why don't we share we're gonna travel our way back to april 25th 1935 families are out it's nice weather i didn't see the i looked up the weather for that day but i couldn't find it where are we in sydney australia specifically we're in the coogee bay area or Coogee Beach area of Sydney. So what is this winter or fall? That's a great question. The Must average temperature is in the 70s. Uh, hot, the highs are like 77, the average high is something like that. Oh. So I think that's the like early fall, so it's yeah. still pretty warm. Yeah. I think. Okay. Let's go with that. Australians correct us if we're wrong. It's Anzac Day, oh. which is kind of like the Memorial Day yeah. for Australia and New Zealand, memorializing the folks who, the soldiers who died in the World War One for yeah. Australia and New Zealand. You know how I know about Anzac? How do you know about that? A show called Anzac Girls. Oh, <laughs> shockingly, you watched every episode, I have no doubt. I did. It was a good show. Mm-hmm. Well, of course it was. Also a little bit horrifying because it's World War One. It was during my World War One phase. Oh, but your shows with nurses and things like that phase has been most of your adult life and will continue until you die. No. Yeah, I come don't on, watch... you like all those kinds of shows, like Dairy Girls and... They're um, school girls, oh, literally whatever. high school girls. Okay. As long as it's a group of females <laughs> in a show, correct. Carrie's going to watch it. Yes. Another good one, Land Girls. Land Girls. Okay. They, they were a group of girls who lived on land. Yes, so but that was a... England in World War Two. Okay. Okay. All right. So follow me for more good television show tips. <laughs> talk about. There's a nice little crowd at the Kuji Aquarium Baths in Sydney on this day in April. People enjoying themselves, enjoying some relatively inexpensive entertainment. This is during the Depression, so things are tough. People, a lot of folks have fallen on hard times, by the way, including the Kuji yeah. Aquarium. It was not doing super great recently. As you know, by this time, the Kuji Pier had been demolished. And the and I really hope I'm pronouncing that word right. <laughs> How's it spelled? C O O G E E. Oh, so yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, let's hope. The pier had been demolished, and along with the Penny Arcade, and that used to bring a lot of folks oh, in. Yeah. So the aquarium was kind of hurting. So the proprietor, one Bert Hobson, went out to the beach there. Went out to the ocean, rather. He was fishing. He was fishing with a net. Some versions say he was trying to catch a shark. Others that he just happened to. But he caught a small shark, and it got tangled in the line, and uh, another shark attacked it at 14 foot, which I think is something like three and a half meters, tiger shark, deadly shark, man-eating kind of shark. It attacked the other shark and started and ate, either started eating or ate that other shark. I'm not 100% sure. They hauled the tiger shark with now a smaller shark in its belly on board, and they brought it back to shore and said, oh my gosh, 
yeah, this could be a great attraction at our Kuji Aquarium and swimming baths did that they he have ran. A, did they have a free spot big enough? They did for indeed. That like big I, of a shark? I mentioned, I think it's possible he was going exactly to go get a shark to show. Yeah. That it was his purpose. He wasn't just fishing. No, I, sure. I assumed as uh-huh. much, but a small shark, 14 foot. 14 foot is, is a big shark. Huge. Yeah. So, yeah, no. The tank that they put it in yeah. was 25 by 15. Oh, man. Feet, See, that's not I big think. enough. Uh, or it could be meters. <laughs> not a hundred per sure. In the thirties is probably feet. It probably was. Yeah. It's it's a very uh, yeah. either either way it's not big enough. No. For a fourteen foot tiger shark. But they had it for about a week. It seemed okay. It was, you know, very small enclosure there, but it seemed like it was getting along okay. It seemed healthy. It was still alive. As you know, sharks, big sharks don't do well in captivity. White right. sharks are notorious for dying very quickly in captivity. And this tiger shark was doing okay for about a week, and then it started to show, show signs that things were not so great. Yeah, which I would expect. Yeah, this confinement is not yeah. doing great for it. It began to act kind of strange. It sometimes it w- would be lethargic. Other times it would act really erratically and swim irregularly. Sometimes it even slam itself against the sides of the tank. Mm-hmm. And then it would kind of sink to the bottom, but then suddenly pop back up again, but uh, it often was seen swimming very slow, like just kind of slow elliptical circles around the tank and didn't seem like it was doing very well, but it did bring in some nice crowds. So, you I'll know, bet, yeah. make some cash while he can. So on April 25th, now again, it's I think it was caught on April 18th, things finally came to a head. Or actually, they came to an arm. That's a pun and you'll see why it's a pun in a second. The shark started convulsing. It's like, it's going to shark vomit. It's going to have a shark barf. It starts, you know, um, groaning and, and heaving. And finally, boom, out comes uh, just a big mass of vomit. It's last meal. And apparently, that last meal did in- include a human arm. Because oh, no. rising up in front of all these little squealing kitties, I imagine, was a partially digested, but still easily recognizable human arm floated toward the top that just got disgorged from the belly of this 14-foot tiger shark, which presumably felt a little better afterward. A reporter, I, 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 it was either a reporter or like a proofreader for the Sydney Herald. His name was Narciso Leo Young. Another great great. We have a lot of great names on the podcast. <laughs> That's a phenomenal name. He said, quote, I was three or four meters from the shark and clearly saw something come out of its mouth, a copious brown froth, which smelled really foul, he oh. said. And the shark didn't, it, it came out, was not just the arm, it was also a bird, a rat, and a, quote, load of muck. I don't know what that is. And that load of muck included the arm that then floated to the surface. I know. That's that, I, I, I love the thought of having a bunch of kids going, oh, look at the shark. And then uh, you love the thought I of traumatizing do. a bunch of school children. Of course. I mean, no, uh, I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, it would have been phenomenal. So there had been, according to one source anyway, a string of shark attacks in the area that had been terrorizing the southeastern coast of Australia around this time. So people were thinking, okay, boom. Case closed, this tiger shark ate a human being just before it was caught, or some, at some period before it was caught. Yeah. So they called the police, 
And they called the coroner, of course, and they looked at the arm, fished it out of the tank there. I'm carefully, I assume, because the tiger shark, now feeling a little better, is still inside there. Gross. And they quickly were able to determine that this was not a shark attack. This arm was not bitten off. There were no tooth marks on the arm whatsoever. And when they examined the shoulder, they said it had been cut off cleanly and clearly by a blade. At the shoulder? At at, at the shoulder, yeah. Wow. This arm had been dismembered, and the shark, or possibly even the smaller shark before the tiger shark, had simply scavenged this arm. Really? This arm now belonged to a person who had had his arm cut off. They presumed a murder victim. Oh. So the word went out. Goodness. Because on this arm was a very distinctive tattoo. I was going to ask if it had any tattoos, yes. but I thought it would be a silly question. Yes. So it's, which is kind of ironic, and we'll see why in a little bit. But the tattoo looked like it was like two boxers facing each other, you know, fist up. Yeah. And that's, that's a weird tattoo. So word went out. The newspapers carried this and, and talked about this tattoo and this arm. And Edwin Smith was reading his, whatever, Sydney Herald, let's say. And he uh, heard about this. And he heard about the tattoo. And he said, hey, I know who that is. My brother James had a tattoo just uh-huh. like that. And we haven't seen him in a few weeks. He, was, he goes to the police. He either tipped them off or he went to them. But anyway, he told the police, I think that's James Smith, my brother. They indeed verified that it was from the tattoo. Right. That it was James Smith. James Smith was a 45-year-old, been born in England. He lived in Gladesville, Australia. I guess that's nearby Sydney. Let's assume. Let's hope. He managed a billiards bar. But really, he was more or less a crook, but also a police informant. Oh. Which is, as you know, not uncommon. Yeah. And he had been last seen alive in a hotel in a suburb of Sydney called Cronulla. <laughs> He'd been drinking and playing dominoes with his very good friend, Patrick Brady, who was also kind of a petty criminal. He had forgery convictions in his past. This was on April 7th, so about 11 days before the shark, shark was caught. And about, what, three weeks, about 18 days, I guess, before his arm was disgorged in that 25 by 15 pool where the tiger shark was swimming weirdly. They looked into Patrick Brady, like, okay, you're last seen with him. You're kind of a crony of his. Something's going on. Was there falling out? Something like that. They assumed that James Smith was murdered. They found out that Patrick Brady, who had been renting a cottage along the bay, had suddenly bolted shortly after James Smith disappeared or had gone missing, let's say. The landlord went to inspect his cottage that he'd been renting and found that a mattress and a trunk had been replaced. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's a new mattress, or at least a, not the same mattress he had, and a, yeah. new, a trunk. And that the walls had been very, very, very thoroughly cleaned and that a rowboat, because it's right on the beach, the rowboat that came with the cottage had been also totally cleaned, spotless. Yeah. Hmm. Did they smell like bleach? Probably. They looked in, in a little closer, and then they got a tip. A cab driver came to police and told them that, hey, the day after 
Smith was last seen, so presumably, I guess that'd be the 12th. I, the cab driver, drove Brady, Patrick Brady. I dropped him off at a house, and at the time, he seemed really nervous. He looked pretty disheveled. He looked like he was in a bad way, and said, oh, well, interesting. Whose house did you drop him off at? He said, I dropped him off at the house of Reginald Lloyd Holmes. Reggie. Reg, even to his friends, I assume. Reginald Holmes was a very respected, actually, businessman. He was a local businessman. He was a boat builder. So mm. I don't know, lots of, lots of those back then, probably not so many anymore. But he wasn't just a respectable businessman. He was also a kind of criminal yeah. underworld figure as well, of course. How many... It's so common that all these wealthy, affluent, super successful entrepreneurs and stuff are doing something criminal. I mean, they they live in these beautiful houses and they and they they you know run around in a very respectable company, and it turns out they're criminals. Yeah, I assume all very wealthy people are criminals. (laughs) But it it really is amazing how often these these people you know criminals aren't just they're just they they're the person right next door. If you live in a very affluent area, yeah, it could be absolutely a, 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 a absolute criminal. They're not just the you know the stereotypical mafioso types. They now look very respectable. Holmes was a smuggler. He ran oh. a smuggling ring. Makes perfect sense for it, a boat builder. It does. And guess who two of his cohorts were? Oh, I'm guessing Brady and the Smith. The dead guy and the and other his guy. Buddy. So Brady and Smith <laughs> were, what they did was they'd take one of his speedboats, Holmes' speedboats, and they'd go out and pick up. So what, what happened is that you'd throw your contraband overboard off the coast, mm-hmm. and then you, the smuggler on the coast, would go and, and pick it up. Cocaine, yeah. cigarettes, and other kinds of contraband would be tossed over. They'd bring them in and sell them on the black market. Yeah. He also was a big insurance scammer, Holmes was. And again, Smith and Brady were deeply involved in that. And that may have been what led to this story. Because shortly before this happened, or yeah, I, I guess the year before, and sometime in 1934, they had done you know a big, they're going to do a big scam. They bought a, a pleasure cruiser called the Pathfinder, and they grossly overinsured it. And then Smith and Brady would take it out and sink it uh-huh. and get the insurance money, right? They did this, and uh, apparently, though, Smith, in his role as a police informer, told the police, like, mm, I don't know what happened there, but that was pretty fishy. When, when, From what I read, he did it. Right. So he went, for whatever reason, I don't know if he's trying to dig around with him. I have no idea. But he informed the police that, oh, yeah, that's maybe not on that pleasure cruiser that sank, maybe not on the up and up. For whatever reason, I don't know. So they looked into it, and the insurance company got wind of this, and they refused to pay. So they lost a big chunk of money. Oh, okay, yeah. In this, because they had to buy, and I guess probably refurbish that that yacht. So they either they found out, or they or they heard about this. So it seems like it was. I don't know how widely known it was. I'm I'm assuming not widely known that he's a police informant, but they, they must have found out. And this caused they the police figured out this caused the falling out. Right. That they got wind that that Smith had kind of ratted on them. To make matters even worse, Smith, I guess hard up for money, started blackmailing his erstwhile employer, Reggie Holmes. Like, okay, I know a thing about you. I know all these criminal things you're doing. You're this respectable businessman. He started blackmailing. Wow, him. that's not very smart. He's not smart at all. He's, you know, like I said, he's an ex boxer. I'm sure he's a tough guy. Yeah. But, you know, 
you, you, you can't block a, sh- a bullet. So it wasn't super smart. On the May 16th, which is, so that's now, oh, about what, three weeks or so after the arm came out of the tiger shark, they finally charged Smith. They, I'm sorry, they charged Brady with Smith's murder. So, okay. So they went and they got, the police went and got Brady. Mm-hmm. And they got Holmes, too, and they questioned them. Holmes didn't give up a, a word at all. But Brady apparently was a little easier mark. It took him six hours, but they finally got him to confess that Holmes was the mastermind. Holmes put up him to help him kill James Smith right. in revenge and also to to shut him up from the blackmail. And that he, Brady was then arrested on forgery. He had some outstanding forgery warrants. So they arrested on forgery and they were able to hold him. But all they had was just Brady's story. So they had let Holmes go. So Holmes was let go, but he must have known the jig was up or very potentially up. Because just a few days later, he goes and gets one of his speedboats and he races it out into Sydney's Lavender Bay. So, and he, he's out in the bay a little bit, thinking things over. He put a gun to his head pulled the trigger, and shot himself in the forehead. Really? He fell into the water and then revived because he used a very small caliber bullet, and the bullet, rather than piercing his thick-ass skull, it flattened against his skull and basically knocked him unconscious very temporarily because the water then revived him. He climbed back into his boat, <laughs> none the worst, I imagine just a headache, but that's it. And he then, the police, I guess, heard the gunshot or some other people in boats nearby. Yeah. I, I imagine it's a fairly crowded bay. And they heard the gunshot, maybe even gunshot, and saw what happened. And they called the police. The police went out there in police boats, and he started fleeing and so he led them on this chase throughout the harbor, just running around, police boats chasing this guy in his speedboat. Wow. I don't know yeah. if they go, how fast they're going. I don't know if this was sort of an O.J. Simpson scenario, but in boats, I'm not sure. But they stayed in the bay. He went out to the ocean. At one point, one report said that he stopped the boat and there was a, before a group of spectators watching the chase. I don't know if that was like they're from a jetty or on the beach or if they're in a big boat or something like that. I, yeah. It doesn't say. But he just he yelled at them, quote, Jimmy Smith is dead, and there's only one, an, only another left. If you leave me until tonight, I will finish him. No idea what that means. I think that means he was going to kill Patrick Brady, but you probably shouldn't shout this, yeah, to watchers who are watching you being chased. I don't. I mean, maybe he said that to the police. It wasn't super clear yeah. by the, the thing I, I read, but either way, no, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> it so also he, sounds a little bit unbelievable. It sounds weird. He sounds, really did. He may have been, but I, I, he is out of his Loopy, mind at yeah. this point. Yeah. He finally gave up. The police brought him in. They took him to the hospital and he recovered. So in early June, he decided, this is 1935. So he says, you know what? I know the jig's up. I'll talk. I'll tell you everything I know. Well, at least he's going to give them his version of yeah, what right. he says happened. So at first he says, well, I, you know, I wasn't trying to flee from you guys and I didn't shoot myself. I don't know what people are saying. I was shot. A, a person broke in my house, shot me in the head, and I ran off into the speedboat to get away from him. When I saw you coming, 
I thought you were the bad guys come to finish me off. That's why I led you on a high and or slow speed chase throughout the bay for a long period of time. Oh, okay. He tried that anyway. So he would have been a natural lawyer. Yeah. Think of complete nonsense, <laughs> uh, completely fictitious story that fits the facts, at least plausibly does so. But they were having that a bit. So finally, Detective Sergeant Frank Matthews got the, well, air quotes, truth out of him. He alleged that Patrick Brady had killed Jane Smith. He didn't say he gave the orders for that. Though. Right. And he said Patrick Brady had dismembered the body and put it in a trunk, which fits. And that eventually he said that Brady took the body out to Gunamata Bay and tossed it into the ocean in the trunk. Most of the body, he kept the arm. Why did he keep the arm? He kept the arm because he took the arm back to Holmes's house and he said, look at this. This is what happened to people who pissed me off. And he said, Holmes said that Brady then threatened me with Smith's arm and said, same thing's going to happen to you if you don't give me 500 pounds right now. So he said that. I, this guy is crazy. He killed Smith. He then threatened yeah. me and tried to blackmail me and extort me with the arm as you know evidence. That explains the arm. He said Brady left his home. He doesn't say I don't didn't see whether he gave him the money or not, or he alleged he gave him the money or yeah. not. But, but he left the arm there. Brady did and left Holmes's house. And so Holmes said he got the arm and drove out to a suburb called Marubra, and there he tossed the arm into the water, right. into, the, into the surf, and thought no more of it. Yeah. Just wanted to get rid of the evidence, I guess. He also, at one, one version, though, he said he tied a weight to the arm and threw it into the water, but it was, and presumably, whether he did or not, it doesn't matter, it was swallowed by either the smaller shark right. that was eaten by the tiger shark or the tiger shark itself. I think most people think it was swallowed by the smaller Shark, but it's, it's a full-on human arm. Yeah, so, so it can be too small. I, of a no, shark. I, tiger sharks are pretty. I think tiger sharks are pretty. You know, unpicky eaters. They'll yeah. just scoop at anything that's edible. So my guess is actually it was swallowed by the tiger shark, which is a much, much, much bigger shark. Yeah, because to swallow an arm whole, you know, yeah. was not bitten. Yeah, at all. So he didn't chew it up and swallow the the shark. So I, so I think it's probably swallowed by the tiger shark. Apparently, that timeline makes sense. By the way. Tiger sharks have very, very, very slow digestive system. So the fact that it could have been like, you know, I guess it can take up to 18 days or the 18-day timeline that it took between eating the shark around when it ate the arm and when it um, coughed it up in the pool makes sense. Huh. That's plausible. Yeah. That's weird, huh? I didn't know. I mean, that's a long time. It is a long time. So they don't have to eat all that often. No, they must not. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Sharks are... You know, they're like mammals. Mammals yeah. have just eat constantly. I, I don't think fish do. Amphibians don't either, I think. I don't know. Again, maybe it was inside the other one, but I don't think so. I, I bet you it was, it was eaten by the, the tiger direct or swallowed by the tiger shark directly. So Holmes said, look, I'll testify. I'll go to court. I'll testify against Smith. We'll pin this murder on, I'm sorry, I'm Brady for the murder of James Smith, right? right. Yeah. Well, so... Things were not going to go as well as he thought. For whatever reason, the police never offered Holmes any kind of protection, so he never had any kind of police protection. But then on June 11th, in 1935, he went to the bank 
withdrew 500 pounds and left home. Pretty late in the evening, he left home. His wife would later testify to this. He said he had to go. He told his wife, I, I got to go meet someone. Don't worry about it. His wife also said that he was really super cautious as he left the home and like, you know, looking around, I guess. And he got into their Nash sedan. Very beautiful car, I'm sure, at the time. And was never seen again, or at least not that night. He didn't come home. Uh-oh. His body was found the next morning at Hickson Road on Dawes Point. I don't know. This must be in Sydney. And he had been shot three times in the chest at close range. So it some reports say, oh, it looked like suicide, which is stupid. You don't shoot yourself three times in the chest by suicide. The police thought it was murder. It was, but later a writer who wrote about this named um, Alex Castle, he's a local writer, I think. Let me make sure I have that name right. I think it's Alex Castle. Alex Castle argued that he had himself killed. He effectively took a hit on himself. He, because I guess not long before he got a bunch of insurance. Yeah. And so, I mean, he had already tried to commit suicide once. Right. He knew, again, he knew he was in big, big trouble. He probably understood that even with his testimony, he was in a lot of legal trouble. His career, his, certainly his legitimate career right. was over. His probably smuggling career was probably over as well. So with- es- Escape to America. Well, but <laughs> committing so- but he left his family yeah. better off with the insurance money and a, a suicide would negate that. So he had himself murdered right. in order to give get them the insurance money, which I think is a very honorable thing to do oh, on his part. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Honorable guy. The five, I'm assuming the 500 pounds was to- to pay the hitman. Yeah. In all likelihood. Just one more crime and insurance fraud yeah, <laughs> on your way out. He, he had made a career of that. I don't know if it was paid out. Presumably it was. I don't yeah. know, though. I didn't see it anywhere. Didn't read it anywhere. But I imagine if the insurance company decided to investigate it and they could prove that he did pay a hitman, right? Then well. They wouldn't have to pay it out. They'd have to prove, yeah, okay. If yeah. it's between him and a hitman, they're never going to find that out. That hitman's not going to tell them. Why would he? They'll never find that. Well, there are other ways to uncover a crime without getting a full confession. No, but if it's, well, how? Uh, he I, was shot three times in the chest. The only person who knows about that who's alive is the person who did it. I don't know, Dean. No. Ask a detective who solves I, crimes every day. I know, but the police, it doesn't sound like the police pursued it yeah. actively. Because, you know. What do they care? It's just the insurance company. And it's a a criminal who's going to go to jail in unlikelihood anyway. And it's, again, yes, no, it's it's the insurance company's problem. The insurance company doesn't have the wherewithal Mm -hmm. to to, discover that. That would be a really hard one to to solve, to crack that that murder. If if he literally just told one other person just the hitman, that's a really tough one. Yeah, but who, who knows who the hitman told? That's true. Well, Holmes is now dead. Holmes was the star witness in the case against Patrick Brady for the murder of James Smith, mm-hmm. even though Holmes's story is almost certainly bullshit. Right. So what does a lawyer, a defense lawyer, who, as we know, cares nothing whatsoever for the truth, do <laughs> in this case? Holmes. No. Oh. Even a little smarter, he says, all you have is James Smith's arm. Prove to us that James Smith is dead. We do not know that. We have no, uh, as far as we know, James Smith is walking around without an arm, but very much alive. So you have not even proven there was a murder, let alone that my client committed that murder. Okay. 
And, and three days after the shark barfed up its arm, yeah, Bert Hobson at the tank. They are, are I don't know under whose orders it wasn't clear, but they had they killed the shark to see if there's any more body parts in it. Yeah, and there wasn't. It was just the arm. But that makes sense, right? My guess, by the way, is that the arm was discarded with a tr- not with the trunk because it was so easy to tell because it had that tattoo on. Yeah. Now, whether or not James Smith really went to Reggie Holmes, I'm sorry, Patrick Brady went to Reggie Holmes and said, I got this guy's arm here. Right. I, I think that's nonsense. Yeah. But some, but my guess is that they discarded it separately, hoping that if they, if they found the trunk, they wouldn't have the arm. It'd be very difficult to identify oh, James see. Smith without that identifying. Hopefully he's decomposed enough. You can't tell who it is. Right. But if you see that tattoo, you know it's James Smith who has been missing. Yeah. They hoped, you know, months or years later. So yeah. that's my guess about what happened. I don't buy the story of... Patrick Brady bringing that arm back because obviously they were right. together. Holmes almost certainly did tell Smith to do this right. and commissioned him to commit the murder. Yeah. And Smith would have been motivated as well because he screwed him under. He was part of the deal on that um, overly insured boat. Yeah. So James, um, Patrick Brady's lawyer made that argument in court. And because apparently juries don't really matter. The judge said, hmm, I believe you, and directed the jury to acquit Patrick Brady, which they then did. I, wow. It, which is just, that's, that's true in the United States. In the U.S., a judge can just summarily dismiss a case, which is crazy, insane, flies in the face of having jury trials at all. But a judge you, wouldn't direct the jury. Oh, yeah. They can and they have. To say, to say and you I, need to acquit. Yep. It's, ha- it's it's not common, but it's happened. It's ha- it can be it can happen in England as well. Um, I mean, you know, I and I know it's possible in English law, which I'm which follows which Australia follows law. I'm I don't know for a fact. I I think you can do that in U.S. law. I don't think and, so. And I know for a fact a judge can uh, dismiss a case. Well, yeah, I know a judge can vacate, which is the a, same a, a jury decision. What's, what's the difference? But I've never heard of a judge directing the jury on how. I ha- to- you know I have an English law, and, and now that I think about it. it and now, in this case, on Australian law, I don't know. For, yeah, you're right. It, that may not be true in American yeah, law. I don't but, think so. But like I said, though, what's the difference between that and just doing it without without talking to the jury at all? Just dismiss yeah. the case. You know what? Uh, when I have jury duty in a couple weeks, oh, I'll, yeah, ask, right. I'll ask the judge. You, uh, you do that. <laughs> just bring it up out of nowhere. I'm sorry. Could I just interrupt for just one second? I have a legal question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's for a podcast. I'm sure they'll... No, I have no doubt. Give me a time to ask oh, some questions. Oh, for sure. I mean, obviously. They say, yes, 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 nice white lady. What would you like? <laughs> yes, juror number 12. No, they're going to call, they call you nice white lady. I don't plan sure. on being on a jury, for you. actually. But. Uh, you better not. I hope not. I don't like it. I don't like being on jury. It was no fun. No bueno. Just tell them that you hate all criminals and you think everybody's guilty. Just say whatever. So, officially, the murder of Jane Smith was never solved and remained unsolved forever. Well, okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, what's his name? Patrick Brady would live to, gosh, like to 1965 or something like that, always declaring himself innocent of the murder of James Smith, no matter how ludicrous. Did he leave a nice, clean, and wholesome life from then on? I don't know. I doubt it very much. I he doubt was a it petty too. criminal. Yeah. Sure, petty criminals are pretty much petty criminals. 
they did confirm, I guess, that James Smith had been a police informant for years. Uh I guess the slang at the time in Australia for a police informant was a fizz gig. That was like the, I guess, the first half of the 20th century Australian Hmm. slang for in America, it used to be called a stoolie or a sure, stool, stool pigeon, pigeon or something yeah. like that. I don't know if it, that's, I don't know what the, in England, it's a grass, right? So I didn't know that. In, in Australia, it was a, it's a fizz gig or was a fizz gig. So he was a fizz gig, and that's Interesting. pretty much what got him killed. That's the funnest out of all of the, yeah, I suppose. Names. Sounds, sounds like a name of a champagne to me. A fizz gig? That would be a delicious... Fizzy gig. It's yeah. a drink. No, I like it. I, I like, I like fizzy gig better. This was a pretty big story at the time. The Sydney Truth newspaper said that it was, quote, an astounding tragedy. A tragedy such as Edgar Allan Poe never dreamed of in his weirdest fiction. <laughs> which, wow. <laughs> which is weird. And again, I think the saddest part is that the poor shark had to be cut open to see if they had more body parts in it and wasn't allowed to go free. It's sad to me. Although it was a tiger shark that could eat people. So I don't know. Still, leave the sharks alone, for God's well, sake. Well, if people swim in their ocean, that's the ri- the risk they run. If you stop and think about it, that shark was a fizz gig. Because that shark barfing up that arm led to the whole that's case true. being opened against Brady and Holmes. So mm-hmm. hmm, maybe the shark should have kept his mouth shut. I'm saying. I don't yeah. know. So that is the story of the arm... Well, thanks, In the Dean. aquarium. Old timey. Old timey. Little mm-hmm. known. On the other side of the world. Yes. Yes. I had not heard of this. New terminology. Fizz gig. Yeah. Uh-huh. All kinds of okay. trying to, stuff trying to happening here. Throwing it out there, man. <laughs> Thank Hope you. Hope I pronounce Kooji <laughs> correctly. Kooji. Is that what you said? Did I say that? Hopefully. Kooji. Yeah. Right? Okay. I hope I pronounced that correct. Could be Kooji. I think it's Kooji. I think it's Coogee, too. So that's the story of the Army and the Aquarium. We hope you enjoyed that little tidbit there. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Share the next time you're at a social gathering. Say, hey, let me tell you a story about an arm and an aquarium. No, don't talk about the arm. Keep the suspense for a little while. Just say, let me tell you a story about a tiger shark and an aquarium. There you go. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sure. Bye. Bye.